The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, February 12th. I'm Terry Aranga, here with my guests, Jeffrey John Ofterheide and Wendy Lydell. Uh, we have been having some technical problems, and I hope that Wendy Lydell will be connected to our line shortly. Jeffrey is at the helm of the great resource website, VAC. Truth.com, and Wendy Lydell is the author of Raising a Vaccine-Free Child. Our topic today is Vaccine Injury is Real. Welcome, Jeffrey, and we hope soon, Wendy. Hey, thank you for having me on today, Terry. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, and thank you for the good information that you put out, Jeffrey, at VacTruth.com. Well, our top story today, multitudes sickened, dozens paralyzed. Jeffrey, let's start with your telling us about what happened in December in Chad, Africa, and please begin with some background on the vaccine campaign there. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, apparently there's there's this organization, and really we need to start there. We need to find out who who has been doing this, and, and so there's an organization. It's called Path. And they were paid through, uh, there's numbers that fluctuate, but roughly around $571 U.S. million dollars that helped finance this whole vaccine project uh, through Gavi uh, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And um, this, this organization called PATH is an organization through the World Health Organization and uh, a different organization, and, and they form uh, called PATH, and they form the, uh, an organization called the Meningitis Project. And this Meningitis Project is the one who is responsible for vaccinating these children. So, what happened to these children? Well, um, roughly around December 11th uh, to about December 15th, in a small village in Goro, northern Chad, Africa, there was a vaccine campaign, and it was used this. They used this Menafravac vaccine. It was a meningitis vaccine, and um, and, and they basically carried out this vaccine campaign. And uh, what happened is is very remarkable. Is a lot of these children became very sick and paralyzed, and uh, so what what happened is essentially. Uh, from one of our contacts, they reported that uh, the government and the, the World Health Organization staff collaborated with, with uh, a school headmaster, and they locked some of these children in the main door before vaccinating all the children. And then the schoolmaster basically said that uh, the children, to anyone who refused the vaccine, would be banned from school and be arrested. And then he also reported they went from door to door and injected all the babies that were one year of age or older. And that's, that's what he said, and that's how he said this kind of went down uh, in this village of Goro. So um, that, that, was, that's, that seems like it was more forced upon these, these people. And now these children, they started to become ill, and they started having convulsions. They had headaches, diarrhea, vomiting, and seizures. And, uh, and some of their, their, uh, their, their conditions were described as critical. Now, the thing is, is why is this such a big deal? Is because basically nothing was done about these children having these adverse reactions. Um, and we know that this happened, and we get, we get a lot of um, uh, feedback from the articles that we put out originally on this. Is, this is, did this really happen? Well, it did really happen, and we actually have video footage of the prime minister 
uh, Emmanuel Nottinger, who actually visited these children and, and came to go see how they were doing. Now, it's interesting to note that as of uh, January 21st, Emmanuel Nottinger has been removed as prime minister. So, uh, you know, we, we, we seem to suspect that uh, this might have had something to do with him uh, leaving office so quickly. Um, another thing I'd like to bring up also is as far as um, their, uh, some of these children, the worst children, were actually evacuated to uh, uh, medical centers in, uh, in a different country. And I've seen some of the medical records, and I've looked at uh, of some of these, uh, what, what, these what, the, what has happened to these children. What's written on the medical records, Terry, is that uh, the medical observations, they point uh, well, the words they basically say, they're in French, but they, they translate, they pointed to the direction of intoxication against the vaccination, the meningitis vaccination. And so what we have here is uh, a basic and blatant uh, uh, vaccine reaction. And probably the biggest thing to keep in mind is that a lot of these children now are, they're, they're going to be sent home. They want to be sent home because uh, they they don't know what to do with these children, and uh, and basically they're going to be taking up hospital beds. So they've they've paid off some of these parents' money to keep quiet, or at least they've offered them money to keep quiet. And and they want to wash their hands with this because it's a huge. Uh, this is a huge uh, program going on in Africa where they where they vaccinate these indigenous people with this meningitis vaccine. Um, another thing that actually happened uh, recently as well, after we reported that these children became uh, paralyzed and were injured from these vaccines, um, the uh, Serum Institute of India, they manufacture the vaccines. They actually changed their website uh, as far as how the vaccines should be stored. On their website, it said that they couldn't be, uh, the vaccines could be uh, transported up to 40 degrees Celsius, which is, I think, about 100, if my calculations are correct, I think that's about 104 degrees Fahrenheit or so. And, um, and they were saying that these vaccines could be transported. Well, they recently changed their website to say that, um, that it should be uh, 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 basically stored at a, at, a, at a cooler temperature, but then it could also be uh, reconstituted. In other words, uh, they could be reinjected up to four days after it's been reconstituted at that same temperature. So, you know, we know that a lot of these vaccines are contaminated. We know that uh, vaccines, uh, the children have adverse reactions from vaccines. But, um, but you know, why, why are these children in Africa, why, why are they any different than the children in the U.S.? And it just seems to me that, Terry, that uh, a lot of these organizations, if they had to basically admit that vaccines caused these, this terrible situation, that they would have a very big egg on their face. They'd have a lot of explaining to do. And um, as, as history has repeated itself many, many times in the past, is they don't want us as a society or, or uh, as consumers of vaccines to lose confidence in the vaccines. They don't want us to question it, so they have to keep these types of situations quiet. Yes, um, you were noting in your article at uh, vactruth.com uh, the dearth of journalists uh, who were allowed to go there. You were uh, quoting your contact who said, the government banned journalists from visiting the hospital since the children brought in. All the children from Goro received the vaccine. Would you care to comment on that? Well, what we can what we can do is, yeah, we have a contact uh, that that is in Africa and is a relative of one of these children. And Christina article, uh, Christina England has done a fabulous job reporting this um, on our on all of our articles. And um, and so basically, what happened is is uh, they have tried this this. So let's back up a little bit. After uh, after these children were vaccinated on or on the fifteenth of, of December, there was a, a local newspaper, Lavoie in Chad that broke this story on December 27th and ever since this story has been broken and people have become more aware of it they've really put the clamp down on on any type of media reporting this issue and so um, you're right yeah our contact basically said that no one no journalist was allowed in the airport uh, to to film these children to do interviews to do any of this 
So they're really trying to keep a tight lid on it. So one moment you have a child who's running around, they're at school, and then they're paralyzed and bewildered and frightened, and their health is in a, is in a horrid condition, and now the government says it's psychological. Yeah, that seems to be that seems to be a typical uh, a typical way to dismiss. Um, you know, I've, I've experienced that as a parent as well. Um, but it, there always is the the downplaying of any type of adverse reaction to vaccines, and that's what they're doing to these parents here. They're saying it's mass hysteria or group hysteria. Well, you know what? Being a parent, I think I would be pretty hysterical myself if um, I saw my child running around and, and being normal. And then shortly after getting a vaccine, they're in convul- you know, they're paralyzed and having convulsions everywhere. And then, uh, and then the doctors and, and everybody else is saying that, uh, you know, there's no, you know, it's not related to the vaccine. You're just making it up in your head. Another way to marginalize the public. Well, we're going to take a break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We will return with Jeffrey John Ofterhide, who's at the helm of VacTruth.com. So you can visit that during the brief break. And we hope we'll be back also with Wendy Lydell, the author of Raising a Vaccine-Free Child. We'd like to thank this program's sponsor, Humpback Dairies of Miller, Missouri, providers of delicious, healthful camel's milk, a whole food, and they can be reached at 417-848-7570. We'll be right back. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling. Whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back, and we've been talking with Jeffrey John Ofterhide, who is at the helm of VacTruth.com. But, Jeffrey, I'm sure that you were doing some things before VacTruth.com needed to come into being. Uh, let's talk briefly about why you're involved in this topic at all. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I was a uh, I was a rescue swimmer in the United States Navy, and uh, I was a I had a top secret clearance, and I was in uh, in communications, and uh, I, I've been to about 17 different countries, uh, you know. I and, and the reason I bring this up is you know, and I was on the war on drugs as well down in the Caribbean, and the reason I bring this up is you know I I had full trust in 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 my government, I had full trust in what my doctors told me. I did pretty much. I was a very, you know, the typical parent um, had my child, and we went to go get them vaccinated. Uh, my son Brandon, he's 11 years old now, and um, after 21 vaccines, you know, he never really had a severe adverse reaction that I could tell. It wasn't like night and day. Um, I do remember him getting very sick, 
uh, you know, the typical, uh, the typical uh, adverse reactions, I guess, that would be listed on, on the uh, vaccine inserts would be like vomiting and, and diarrhea and all of those other fun uh, experiences that parents go through after they get their child vaccinated. But it wasn't until after he received 21 vaccines and he stopped develop, developing, uh, I would say, through his you know, fine and gross motor skills. It's a pretty common story that um, we were looking uh, for answers. And what happened was is that, you know, we, you know we, we went to go into our doctor because our child started to line up toys, and our doctor said, well, he might have autism. You should go get him tested. So we went through the uh, going to the, uh, I, I call it the uh, medical merry-go-round. We went to a neurologist, had an MRI done, and, and he said there was nothing wrong. We went to a speech uh, therapist, an occupational therapist, a physical therapist, um, and we, we kept going um, around and around and around, and no one had any answers. And um, Brandon just kept falling further and further behind. He wasn't meeting his developmental milestones. And it wasn't really until I, I, read, I started to read some literature and actually you know, broke down. I, w- I, mean, I think I was at a pretty low point in my life at that time, Terry, because just there was, I felt helpless. You know? I think a lot of parents can relate to that. I felt helpless. And um, it was at that point where, where I just kind of took the plunge. I'm like, you know, I've heard so much about vaccines and autism. What, what is autism really? I guess I was really afraid of even looking up what it meant. And then so I started to research uh, uh, autism, and, and uh, one of the books that I guess I was introduced to is Evidence of Harm by Mr. Kirby, David Kirby, and I started to read about it. And I was like, wow, this is pretty interesting stuff. I should start checking it out. And the more I read about autism, the more I could find out that um, a lot of the symptoms that these autistic children were exhibiting, were, they were just very sick children. It wasn't some type of magical um, social disorder that these children were experiencing. And this is, this is my opinion, of course. But um, they were very sick children. Um, we're talking about bowel issues, sensory processing disorders, um, uh, you know, you name it. Uh, my son had this stuff. And, and then so I started to look further into the vaccines because, you know, again, I was a typical parent. I just trusted my doctor blindly. And I went to go get him his vaccines, and I didn't question it at all. And as I started to look at vaccines more and more and more, I'm like, wow, this is a very deep rabbit hole. This is a very deep rabbit hole. And, and the more I started to go back and look at my son's medical records, stuff just started to make sense. So we stopped vaccinating after 21, 21 vaccines. And, you know, Terry, I, I forget how many, how many vaccines children are given now before the age of five, but it's, uh, it, I think it's past like 30, 32 or 38 or something like that. But um, so then I think what, what, really, what really set me off and what really motivated me to start helping parents was back in, I think was it was the 2009, 2010 uh, H1N1 pandemic where they just tried to fear parents into getting their children vaccinated. And I remember it was all over the radio, all over the news. And um, I wanted to find out. They were doing a vaccine trial down here in northern Denver. Uh, it was uh, MedImmune, uh, by, and they were doing a vaccine trial for the H1N1 vaccine. And I remember the doctor's name was a doc, Dr. Isaac Melamed who was doing the vaccine trial. I went to go talk to him, and I went to go look, and I said, can you give me information on this vaccine? Um, regarding, you know, with the ingredients. And I started to look at the ingredients, and it was had all the typical uh, 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 ingredients that you'd find in a flu vaccine. But, you know, one there was one vaccine ingredient I couldn't really um, put my finger on. It was called Nanoxinol 9, and it's a, it's a spermicide, actually. And um, that kind of set me off. I, I, I just decided from that day on I was going to start taking action because I was like – I started to ask him about these ingredients, and he couldn't tell me much about them. He said, you know, this is a vaccine trial, and a lot of this stuff is confidential. I said, really? Well, where's the safety information on this? And he, couldn't, he wouldn't give it to me, or he couldn't tell me. And from that point on, I started to meet a lot of other parents who were in the same situation. Their doctor uh, basically was fearing them into getting vaccinated, their child to get vaccinated. And, um, and they were experiencing a lot of other problems that I was in regards to their child um, 
uh, you know, experiencing some type of autistic symptoms or whatever. I mean, I can't even, Terry, I can't even go to the park now. And there's like four or five children from my neighborhood who are autistic. I mean, it's, I don't remember this stuff growing up as a kid. No, neither um, but, do I, um, Jeffrey. So, and you mentioned Colorado. Uh, a couple of things. First of all, you mentioned that you had top secret clearance and full trust in the government. But let's flip the coin. You had top secret clearance. So your government also had trust in you. So it wasn't like you were a rational person back when they had trust in you, and now you've just, you've just as a parent developed a psychogenic hysteria or something like that. And I find it, you know, telling, perhaps, that um, our children don't know each other, yet they were both lining up toys. And I don't think that that's mass hysteria either. I'm going to share, um, since, since Wendy is not here with us, to share it herself. Mm-hmm. Um, now that we've been talking about uh, mass hysteria allegations um, and the, also the situation in Africa, Wendy had shared that uh, there was a situation in New Zealand reminiscent of this. And, Jeffrey, do you mind if I go ahead and read this? No, please do. Okay, thanks. This is from Wendy Lydell's book, Raising a Vaccine-Free Child. And she says, she, t- she uh, titles this section, A Case of Mass Pathological Denial. A startling example of mass pathological denial occurred during a meningitis, here we go again, meningitis vaccination mm-hmm. campaign held in New Zealand schools in 1987. A polysaccharide vaccine was used, and it was designed to give immunity to one strain of bacterial meningitis for two or three years. The way that the information was presented to parents led many to believe that it would make their child immune to all types of meningitis for life. When this vaccine was used at a primary school in a town called Drury, which is just 10 miles south of Auckland, two mothers who had brought their preschoolers to school to be vaccinated saw children reacting violently to the injection. They decided to stay at school to see what was going to happen. Some of the children vomited or collapsed within minutes of being injected with the vaccine, while others took a few hours to become ill. These two mothers saw scores of children seriously affected by the vaccine. One of them described it to me later as, it was like one of those old Florence Nightingale movies. The war wounded were lying all around. The children did not all have the same reaction. Interestingly, the trend was for the older children to react immediately, while the younger ones took longer to become affected. Some of the children got severe headaches. Some got dizzy. Some got fever. Some fainted. Some got tingling sensations in their arms and hands. Some vomited. Some lost control over their legs. Some got numb feet. Some could not concentrate on the person who was speaking to them. Got, some got sore necks. Some got glassy eyes. Some lost eye-hand coordination. Some slowly became floppy and slowly fell off their chairs while trying to do schoolwork. Some children were only beginning to react when it was time to go home. Some of them went home by bus and had to be carried off the buses. Some of the children slept abnormally that afternoon. Most of the children suffered more than one of these symptoms, and they had all been perfectly fit and healthy before being injected with the vaccine. All of these symptoms, including the vomiting, can be caused by neurological disturbance. The two mothers who witnessed these reactions went to the press, and two newspapers decided not to withhold the information from the public. A journalist contacted the medical officer of health for comment and was told that only 14 children had shown any symptoms, and the symptoms had no physical cause. They were just caused by mass hysteria. The reason he gave for the hysteria was that the vaccine had been delayed for an hour and all sorts of nasty rumors developed, and the youngsters got themselves worked up into quite a state. It is true that the vaccine had been delayed for an hour, but the children were not aware that it had been delayed. They were just working in their classrooms until they were called out to be jabbed. And Jeffrey and our listeners, some of these children remain disabled to this day, just like the children in Chad, Africa. Jeffrey, would you like to comment? Hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, um, it almost sounds like, uh, like Guillain-Barre syndrome or, or polio. And um, the reason I say that is because, you know, they renamed poliomyelitis uh, aseptic meningitis. And, um, you know, what I really think about when I, when I hear this is that um, it really goes back to uh, the fear, the fear that they try to, really put into parents that they, they must get their children vaccinated. 
I mean, we're, we're basically living in a time, Terry, where um, there's really two people or two entities that are protected, and that is the vaccine manufacturers and the vaccine administrators, and that's through the, uh, the, uh, was it the national, uh, oh, geez, I forget the name of it, the nomenclature right off the hand, but that's the National uh, Vaccine uh, Injury uh, Protection Act. Uh, I, I forget. NVICP. Right, 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 right. Thank you very much for that. But, but so, so, so my thoughts on this basically are, yeah, it, it, it happens. Vaccine reactions happen all the time. And um, what, what they basically try to do is they try to make sure that parents are, are, have some level of, 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 I would say, trust in the vaccines. And because the moment, the moment something like this happens and it gets out in the news, what would happen is the parents would not trust the vaccines anymore, and um, I'm going to venture to say that the pharmaceutical money, uh, companies would lose a lot of money, and so would the governments. And why would I say the governments is because the governments, for example, in the United States, they purchase a lot of these vaccines in bulk from the vaccine manufacturers, and so they are also encouraged to make sure that these children receive their vaccines as well. Now, a lot of these vaccines would go bad, and there would be a lot of money being wasted. And, it, yeah, I, I do think, actually, Terry, it does have a lot to do with money. And, um, and as far as these vaccine-injured children are concerned, you know, my heart goes out to them. I, I, know, I know that their parents are, are very, put in a very bad situation right now. And, um, uh, quite frankly, I think it's a travesty, and I think that these people are getting away with a lot of um, – a lot of chicanery, a lot of, a lot of. Um, well, let's just put it like this, Terry. I, I, I really don't think that that these people um, understand the the pain that they're causing in people's lives. I think they think it's just uh, some type of passing uh, uh, symptom or or whatever, or either that or they ignore it so they can basically live their own life guilt free. That's well, what I think. They've, they've suspected it for years, at least including the clandestine 2000, year 2000 Simpson Wood meeting in Simpson, uh, Norcross, Georgia. And people can look that up. There's also an article now uh, going along with what Jeffrey is saying. There's also an article uh, at guardian.co.uk that is titled, Aid for Vaccines is Subsidizing Big Pharma Doctors' Claims. You can find Wendy Lydell, L-Y-D-A-L-L. You can find her book, Raising a Vaccine-Free Child, at Amazon.com. And we'd like to uh, thank our sponsor before going to break, this program sponsor, Humpback Dairies, providers of delicious, healthful camel's milk, which is a whole food, and they can be reached at 417-848-7570. You can immunize yourself with good nutrition. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Every weekend, take some time out of your schedule for New Reflections, featuring Dr. Adam Rubenstein. It's a show about all things aesthetic, from skin care to plastic surgery, health and beauty. You'll learn about the aesthetic products and procedures to embrace or avoid. Each show will feature live, virtual, interactive consultations that you'll be able to follow along with and featured guests from the world of beauty and aesthetics. Listen Saturdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, for new reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Jeffrey John Ofterhide, who's at the helm of the great resource, the website backtruth.com, and maybe you check that out during the break. Jeffrey, before the break, we were talking about um, that the government's known about this for years, and something that speaks to that is that there was a paper published in the peer-reviewed Pace Environmental Law Review under the title of Unanswered Questions from the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, and this showed that the U.S. government has been compensating children for decades who were vaccine injured and who also happened to have autism. This speaks to the vaccine autism link. And then more recently, um, you had also published on this recent stunning news that the U.S. vaccine court awarded a large sum for the MMR vaccine causing a boy's autism. And by the way, you, the U.S. court and Italian court agree that the MMR vaccine can cause autism. Mm -hmm. In this um, report about the MMR vaccine causing a boy's autism, two children were awarded damages in general. The Federal Vaccine Injury Compensation Program recently awarded millions of dollars to these two children with autism for pain and suffering and lifelong care of their injuries, which together could cost tens of millions of dollars. So you reported, Jeffrey, about this in VacTruth.com. Can you elaborate? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, well, essentially, uh, there was a young man, uh, Ryan Majavi, who received close to a million dollars for, uh, for his injuries being caused by the MMR vaccine. And um, that, I think that was filed around uh, mid, mid-December or so, if memory serves correct. And the interesting part about this, uh, the interesting part about this, this, this particular case here, this award, is that this young man was awarded uh, for his injuries, it was a vaccine table injury called encephalopathy. Uh, after getting his MMR vaccine, that's what it said in, in, the, uh, in the filing. So encephalopathy is a swelling of the brain. Now, if people don't think that vaccines can cause swelling of the brain, what I'd like to do is direct their attention to uh, the Merck manual. And in the Merck manual, if you look under encephalitis, it says that uh, the encephalitis is an inflammation of the brain that occurs when a virus directly infects the brain or when a virus or something else triggers inflammation. And in one of those bullet points, it says a virus or vaccine triggers a reaction that makes the immune system attack brain tissue. Those are their words, not mine. And so what we have here is, I would say, I would say this is very monumental, especially for parents to realize that autism is not a social disorder. Autism is, is these children being very sick. And if there's scientific measures applied to, um, it, it, sorry, let me back up. If, if autism is treated as a disease process versus a social disorder, I think we'll start to get a lot more answers uh, uh, in as far as finding out what is causing autism. Now, I happen to agree that uh, this, this child should have gotten a lot more money, actually, but I'm glad he got the amount he did. And, um, um, you know, this, you know, Terry, I, I, what, I, what I really hope is that, um, is that this particular case, along with other cases, uh, become more, uh, more well-known amongst the parents and we're able to, uh, to show other, other people that, hey, you know, uh, vaccines can be caused by autism. Look here. Kids are getting paid for it right here. Parents are getting paid for their kids being, being injured by vaccines right here. Yeah, exactly. And the CDC is using quote-unquote science that they use to black, um, substantiate the lack of a link between autism vaccines. That's from someone, uh, someone was involved who's on America's most wanted list, an embezzler called Paul Thorson, who's out of the country. Mm, I remember That's- that. Well, you know, Terry, and this isn't even a new issue. I mean, um, you know, they, they know that encephalitis or, or uh, you know, these types of issues, it's even... It's even noted way back here. I actually have a resource here. It's from veter- the veterinarian uh, uh, literature. 
And um, they're talking about encephalitis actually being caused by a vaccine. And uh, this is 1986. It's the Veterinary Clinics of North America, Volume 16, Number 6. It says, autoimmune disorders may be provoked by vaccines. Any vaccine that contains tissue from a central nervous system of an, of an animal which was grown may invoke an immune-mediated neuropathy in the vaccinated animal. Post-vaccinal encephalitis and lower motor neuron, uh, let's see, or Guillain-Barre system, or sorry, Guillain-Barre syndrome, have been reported to occur in the dog vaccinated with rabies vaccines produced in nervous tissue. Well, we know vaccines are produced in nervous tissue. Mouse brain, monkey brain, all of these other uh, horrible, horrible vaccine ingredients or, or culture media that these viruses are, are cultured on and then they're injected in our children. Why can't a vaccine cause it? Where's the science? Why, why do they ignore this science? Uh, well, you know, Jeffrey, first of all, I want to... Thank you very much for bringing up that really fascinating fact. And secondly, they have to ignore the science. Uh, if, they don't, if they say it's medical, and if they just don't say it's hardwired genetic or something, then they would have to look at the cause, and then vaccines could be found culpable. You've been talking about the brain and antibodies, and we're going to look at two more news stories that speak to this. Jeffrey, a February 10th news story at examiner.com says, women in the United States and their doctors have been struggling with a newly discovered brain disease that attacks mainly young women. It has been recently reported that hospitalized women in Philadelphia have had seizures and appear possessed, crying or laughing hysterically one moment and turning catatonic the next. The women have been diagnosed with an autoimmune illness discovered six years ago called anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis. One doctor explained that the illness strikes the brain with antibodies and causes it to swell. A 15-year-old female patient was diagnosed with anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis after receiving a booster vaccination against tetanus, diphtheria, pertussis, and polio. That was TDAP and uh, IPV. The unique pattern of clinical symptoms led to the consideration of anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis. The diagnosis was confirmed by the detection of anti-NMDAR antibodies in plasma and cerebrospinal fluid. Jeffrey, what does this mean to you? <laughs> well, it means they're, they're ignoring the vaccine causing this, uh, I'm pretty sure. And, well, what it means to me also is that, um, that they're renaming a lot of these vaccine adverse reactions so that people aren't any wiser to, uh, to, to pinpointing it on the vaccines. Because, you know, here's what I like to say to parents. is like, or, or actually, I actually like to say this to doctors because they, they question me a lot of, well, why, why, do, you, why do you do what you do? Why, why do you question vaccines? They're the greatest thing since, you know, the invention of sliced bread. They've saved humanity for, you know, for Pete's sake. Well, I ask them this, what measurements do you use before and after vaccination? to determine that any harm has come to your child or a child that you vaccinated. Because vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. Right. They know that some of these children are going to be injured, and they know that there's going to be some adverse side effects. But, you know, I, I think that they, in their training, they've been so... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They've been so... Brainwashed, um, lied to? Well, lied to, or do they have they have such um, such blinders on to any type of adverse reaction? It has to be coincidental. So I think if they started to use some type of scientific measure, I mean, how how would you measure brain injury? You know, I, I know that there, there's some some uh, diagnostic tools out there uh, called a spec scan, which measures blood flow across the brain and EEG, EKG, MM, or the MRI. Well, function um, evidence. Lack of function evidences uh, aberrations in structure, I would say, and then you can also look at some tests. Well, sure, sure, but the, the big question is: is so, are these doctors willing to to actually do? You know, of course, they can do PCRs as well to to see if it's you know the vaccine-derived virus or or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I mean, will they will they do that work and and see? They're kind of in a, in a catch-22 as well. So if if they um, if they go break the silence and say, hey, I you know I suspect the vaccines might be doing this, what happens to them? I mean, they have a lot of medical bills uh, to pay or their own uh, school bills to pay. 
Exactly. They're vilified. They are vilified. They can risk loss of license, loss of income. And uh, we know that... they ostracized, basically, from, from the medical community if they, if they mention one word about vaccines causing harm. Yeah. Well, we're going to go to uh, break. I'm going to end with uh, this before this break. But talking about evidence that something is sorely wrong, a May 2011 report in academic pediatrics said an estimated 43% of U.S. children, 32 million, currently have at least one of 20 chronic health conditions assessed, Hmm. increasing to 54.1% when overweight, obesity, or being at risk for developmental delays are included. And we know that the CDC's own figures have... Uh, children with autism at 1 in 88 children, 1 in 54 boys, at least 1 in 6 children with some sort of a developmental or behavioral problem. These statistics are glaring. And insofar as uh, the myths that uh, Jeffrey was alluding to, Wendy Lydell busts apart some of the myths that we popularly hear in public health about vaccines in her book, Raising a Vaccine-Free Child, which can be found at Amazon.com, and she also provides some healthful alternatives. We're going to take a break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Humpback Dairies of Miller, Missouri, Missouri, which provides healthful and delicious camel's milk. They can be reached at 417-848-7570. And again, Jeffrey's website address is vactruth.com. If you want to take a look at that during the break, we'll be right back. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Step up to the microphone. View the finalists right now on voiceamericakids.tv. America's next great star is waiting to be discovered. Step up to the microphone is an exclusive presentation for voiceamerica.tv, where you can see and hear America's next top child star. The program is hosted by Voice America's own Cassie Frazier, and new episodes will be available every week exclusively at voiceamericakids.tv. You can say you saw them at the beginning of their superstar career. Tune in to voiceamericakids.tv. Have you figured out what's not working in your life? Could you use a little help? Join your host, Tamaran, for Let's Figure It Out. Tamaran has had both highs and lows in her life. She uses her experiences to teach you some basic techniques on how to live a better life through health, relationships, and more. Her guests also come from the health and wellness industry, and together, Tamaran and her guests will help you get your life on the right path. Let's Figure It Out airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you look your best? Do you feel your best? While everybody ages, why does it seem to show more in some people than others? It could have to do with what's inside and how it affects you outside. Tune in to Health and Beauty for Life with Dr. Tang and Alexandra. Their training in medicine and nutrition brings proven results with their patients. And now they're ready to bring that knowledge to you. We'll answer your questions and explore innovations in technology and medicine to keep you looking and feeling your best. Tune in Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Jeffrey John Osterhod, who's at the helm of BackTruth.com, which you can visit um, after we conclude the show. And, uh, Jeffrey, we're going to pick up on this segment with a February 8th news story, which says that mounting evidence of a link between GlaxoSmithKline's Pandemic's flu shot and a spike in narcolepsy cases among children in Europe is putting one of the vaccine's key ingredients, AS03, under intense scrutiny. The ingredient is one of a class of pharmaceuticals known as adjuvants or boosters designed to turbocharge the potency of a vaccine and the body's immune response to it. So, Jeffrey, even... GlaxoSmithKline's spokesperson says a study showed that people who had their vaccine had narcolepsy more than those who didn't get it. But then they say that doesn't prove A causes B. 
What does that say? <laughs> well, it, it's the same. It's the same story. It's just a you know a, a different vaccine. It's never the vaccine. It doesn't matter what we, uh, you know, what what's in the vaccine. Apparently, um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of information around the flu vaccine. Um, I mean, you know, a long time ago. Um, back in the 70s, I remember there was a gal, I, I forget her, la- her first name, but I believe her last name was Roberts. I think she, uh, she ended up making national news. She ended up getting Guillain-Barre syndrome after the flu vaccine. Of course, we had a lot of children that um, were injured after the last um, H1N1 uh, pandemic vaccine, and I'm pretty sure that this is what this is referring to as well. Oh, and I believe Finland is, it was, or the Scandinavian area. Um, but you know, you know what also is very interesting. What I find is 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 kind of new, a new phenomenon as well, Terry, is that uh, they vaccinate pregnant women. And um, this is, uh, for me, this is kind of new because I don't think they've really done this up until um, maybe the last five years or so, where they've really, really promoted vaccinating pregnant women. And this really concerns me as well. And as a matter of fact, you know, there was a recent publication on, on um, you know, not, I mean, so, so these children are, are, are having narcolepsy and they say it's not the vaccine, right? Well, we know, we know it's the vaccine. There's a lot of studies on, the, on this as well. I think there's a, uh, two or three that actually just came out on this as, uh, recently. But also the pregnant women, there was a, a study that came out that showed the inflammatory response to the, uh, uh, the vaccine, the flu vaccine, in pregnant women. And they were measuring elevated levels of the C-reactive protein, which is an inflammation marker. Yeah, now, yeah. and then if they say it's not because... If somebody says it's not because of the vaccine, they can just say, oh, it was something in the mom, or oh, it's genetic, you know, since... Well, yeah, this particular study, um, it was called uh, uh, inflammatory, or sorry, inflammatory responses to trivalent influenza vaccine, or sorry, virus vaccine among pregnant women, and this is in 2011. Now, the interesting part about that is there was another study that just came out, and we want to bring this maybe full circle even to autism, um, is uh, there was a, a study published in Molecular Psychiatry, January 22nd, 2013. It talked about elevated maternal C-reactive protein in autism in national birth cohort. And they were saying that these children who had autism uh, and they had elevated uh, C-reactive protein levels were a, at a 43% increased elevated risk for having autism. Now, you put those two together, and what do you have? Um, well, you know, it, it, you have a pretty interesting story, and uh, I think we need to be a little bit more cautious about jumping in and saying, hey, these vaccines are safe for pregnant women, because I don't really believe that these people know what they're talking about. What they like to do is, is um, segregate and um, compartmentalize the evidence and pretend that certain systems of the body don't work with other systems of the body. And then they can say these things are safe. Right. Like they they can also say that these want... vaccines with the ASO3 uh, uh, squealing-based adjuvant and these other, and these other children causing, causing narcolepsy um, really uh, had no effect. No, you know, I wonder, I wonder if it had some type of effect on their brain. Yeah. They really like to water down things in some studies, too. Uh, for our listeners, AS03 is a squealing-based adjuvant, an oil-based adjuvant. Jeffrey, I heard that oil-based adjuvants can cause autoimmune reactions, and to me that might be something like where the body mistakes the fat in the brain for the fat in the vaccine and attacks the fat in its own brain. We know that some of the kids with autism have autoantibodies against myelin, which is the sheath around cells in the brain. Etta West writes, because the body contains many types of oily molecules and lipids, it may be that when an oil is injected, the immune system react, responds to it not only specifically but with heightened intensity because the oil adjuvant resembles so closely the natural oils found in the body. A cross-reaction then happens, sending the immune system into chaos, destroying any oils found anywhere in the body that resemble the adjuvant oil. Demyelinating diseases like multiple sclerosis, are an example of this destructive autoimmune process. And Gary Matsumoto says, squalene is a kind of trigger for the real biological weapon, the immune system. When the immune system's full repertoire of cells and antibodies start attacking the tissues they are supposed to protect, the results can be catastrophic. And, Jeffrey, that's what we've had. We've had a catastrophe to the public health. And I want to thank you for defending it. 
Thank you for defending the public health. Well, you know, it's it's pretty important uh, that that parents understand what's being injected into their children and what the possible effects of those vaccines could have on their children. But I think we need to go a step further is when they need to recognize when it's happening to children, but they also need to know how to ask their doctor to get the right tests. Now, in this case, I mean, if these children are are expressing narcolepsy after getting the vaccine, you know, that goes to pretty much what we were talking about uh, before with encephalitis and talking about the, uh, the, uh, the immune system attacking brain tissue. Um, all you have to do is go back. I think it's called encephalitis lethargica. And all you have to do is go look up that. And um, encephalitis is related to narcolepsy. So, you know, it seems to me that, um, you know, if parents were more aware of these types of things that could occur in their children, they'd be able to um, scrutinize the ingredients, They'd be able to look at what's occurring in their children after being vaccinated, and then they would take the most important step of taking action after their children is vaccinated, having some type of adverse reaction. But you know what? The doctors, um, they hand out vaccine information sheets. They don't hand out the vaccine inserts, the product inserts, because they don't think that parents are smart enough because they didn't go to medical school to read them. And for me, that's kind of insulting, and I think it should be for all of the other parents as well, because as a matter of fact, we are pretty intelligent. We have a lot of um, tools at our disposal in the Internet and, um, and, and libraries and medical literature. That's online now. And, um, and we can figure a lot of these things out, and we can ask very, very good questions. And you know what I found out, Terry, is a lot of doctors, they either can't or won't answer questions from educated parents. And so that's my mission is to educate parents. Right. There are even vaccine apologist campaigns that train other people how to respond to parents who have concerns um, in a way that will um, mitigate their concerns, but not in a good way that protects their children. So, Jeffrey, I want to thank you for helping protect the children of parents and the public health. Well, you know, it's, it's a passion and desire of mine. And so thank you very much. And without forums like yours, Terry, none of this would be possible. So thank you so much, too. And thank you, Jeffrey. My guest next week is Jerry Brewster on diet, nutrition, and the gut. Don't forget to register for the Autism One Generation Rescue 2013 conference. It's shaping up to be the most exciting yet. And we have a twofer Valentine special for special events. Please check out www.autismone.org. Thank you to this program sponsor, Humpback Dairies, providers of delicious, healthful camel's milk, a whole food. Humpback Dairies can be reached at 417-848-7570. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.